Hello and welcome to It Came From The Page, a podcast all about various horror literature and their adaptations throughout time, talking the original Dracula from 1931 and the original Frankenstein also from 1931, and with my two trusted hosts, Jason. Hello, Jason. Oh, hello, children of the night. Definitely not laughing because I made a terrible other joke like that before, <laughs> uh, and we deleted it because mine was bad. Um, and also, and so was mine. yeah, of course. Uh, and also, Kelly, who's never bad. Hello, Kelly. Oh, I, I can be bad. Um, um, happy Halloween, bitches. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, for once, I don't have to kick this off because I did not do the bulk of the research for this. Um, Jason, tell tell the people what you did for this podcast and educate our poor, poor, uh, stupid souls. Okay. Um, great way to start a podcast by uh, insulting the audience and calling them stupid. That's that's great. Um, I'm just excited to uh, have a Halloween where I'm not locked inside in an airtight uh, container, uh, trying to avoid being infected. You know. Yeah. So well, I, I mean, Jigsaw is going to set that up for you, like, next <laughs> <time>. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You, you are now quarantined for a year. <laughs> like, well, uh, I don't know, Jigsaw, I don't okay. know if you've been paying attention, but like, <laughs> that was last year, and we all survived. So. I'm not even paying attention, Jigsaw, but I'm essentially a shut-in anyways, so I don't know what to think of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought let's start with some references for this episode. We're talking Dracula and Frankenstein, 1931, the classics, right? Yep. So references for this episode. Yeah. Uh, for Dracula, I read two Gary Rhodes books, Bela Lugosi in Person 2015, and Todd Berry's Dracula, also from 2015. Um, I read James Whale, A New World of Gods and Monsters by James Curtis, which was also the uh, – Reference for the Oscar-winning script for the 1998 film Gods and Monsters. Oh, cool. um, uh, you know, um, however, a lot of that stuff um, is probably going to be utilized when inevitably we talk about the Bride of Frankenstein, huh. um, because a lot of that's about James Whale's life in general, um, which plays a huge role um, both in the original Frankenstein, but you know, very much so in the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and I also read uh, the first 200 years by Christopher Frayling. Uh, the first 200 years of uh, Frankenstein by Christopher Franley, 2017. All really good books. I'd um, encourage you to read any and all of them um, if you have any interest in this. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, those sound interesting. And I'm yeah. curious about the the 200 years one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool. Th this is th those are interesting because I think like from my own reference library, those are not the books that I own. So I'm actually very interested in uh, checking those out. You know, if you're ever interested in doing research, a lot of it's just confirming um, stuff that you may have read and getting different perspectives uh, because there's a lot of misinformation out there and people throw stuff out there. Oh. And it's really important to read multiple things to, uh, you know, verify those things. Um, you know, Jason, it's not like um, we do this for a living, basically. Yeah, uh, I mean, with yeah, Triassic the, Park now. yeah, there won't be any mis misinformation here. Oh, there, right? there definitely no. will be. Um, <laughs> um, and, and definitely um, the commentary tracks on the Blu-rays were on um, both the Blu-rays for Dracula and Frankenstein as well as um, some some of those documentaries that are on there are very oh. interesting as well. Um, so yeah, let's get right into it. Dracula okay. and Frankenstein, 1931. There has perhaps in the history of film 
never been a more important single year in any genre than 1931 for horror. Dracula and Frankenstein as we know them today, in form, style, and sentiment, seem inexorably tied, and not just because they came out the same year. There is a feeling in horror cinema that after Dracula and Frankenstein were released, that a new direction was forged for the genre. A belief that together these two films collided and an awakening occurred by which we never looked back. It is a feeling, but in many ways it's also a reality. Dracula and Frankenstein inarguably changed everything. After all, in film critic circles, the title of horror didn't even come into use until 1931. We had been through Lemire's, using trick photography to shock audiences, the mind-bending sets and aesthetics of German Expressionism of the 1920s, the silent era with its dramatic performances in enrapturing melodrama. But objectively, horror film didn't even become its own genre until Lugosi don't don the cape and Karloff stuck electrodes on his neck. With all due respect to the great Lon Chaney, these are our first horror stars. The golden age is when horror film became horror, with a capital H. Prior to 1928 and his son taking over, Carl Lamley, the founder, owner, and chief producer of Universal Studios, certainly was no stranger to gothic films, having produced The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1923, The Phantom of the Opera in 1925, and The Man Who Laughs in 1928. But that didn't mean he was prepared to cross the line into a film like Dracula, a film completely devoid of humor or ability to conceal its supernatural elements. In fact, Todd Browning had attempted to adapt the Stoker novel before it was turned down. He returned multiple times, in fact, to the studio throughout the early 20s, leaving rejected, each time being told that the story had too many supernatural elements, it was much too gruesome for audiences of the time. There were other considerations as well. In Broadway, the play Dracula was hugely successful already. However, in popular media, vampires were mostly looked at differently. Since the Stoker novel, and at the end of the 19th century, the vampire had transformed from ghastly lord in a castle to metaphorical tales, mostly about women sucking the financial resources of men before their blood. It perhaps took the Great Depression for the tide to turn again, to thinking about rich, land-owning men being the monstrous bloodsuckers feeding on the commoners. In fact, it wasn't until Carl Lamley Jr. was made head of production in 1928 that discussions around adapting Dracula for the screen actually began in earnest. And only after Jr. found success with All Quiet on the Western Front in 1931, as well as the incredible success of the Dracula stage play that began in 1927 and ran for 261 performances, did the film begin to seem like a viable option. The play starred a Hungarian immigrant as Dracula named Bela Lugosi and Pennsylvanian stage actor Edward Van Sloan as Dr. Helsing, both who would eventually be cast in the 1931 film for the same roles. These successes gave purchase for a relatively green Lamley Jr. to be able to make a film such as Dracula in 1931. Originally, Lon Chaney, who had either directed and starred in over 100 pictures by the September of 1930 when Dracula went into production, was considered for the part. I mean, it just made sense. He was a surefire box office draw and an icon. Also by then, The Man with 100 Faces had starred in 10 Todd Browning pictures between 1919 and 1929. But by August of 1930, he was dead from throat cancer. Conrad Veet, Paul Mooney, Chester Morris, Ian Keith, John Ray, Joseph Schildkraut, 
Arthur Edmund Carraway and William Courtney all were considered for the role before even thinking of the man who was already portraying him on stage in Broadway for the film. This is likely for a few reasons. Bella Ferenc Dezo Blasco, born in Lagosi, Hungary, had come to America. But by then, he had already changed his last name in 1903 in honor of his hometown by which he was born. Bella Lagosi in his native country had found some success as a stage actor playing small roles. But as a union and socialist sympathizer, found himself blacklisted after the failed communist revolution of Hungary in 1919. He fled to Germany, acting on stage there until 1920, coming to New Orleans, riding on a mercantile ship in a bale of hay. Here, he became a laborer, finding fellow expatriate Hungarians to form a stock company that toured the East Coast, playing mostly for immigrant audiences. It wasn't until five years later he was approached to star on Broadway in The Red Poppy. It had been reported, although erroneously, that Bela Lugosi learned his lines for the stage play Dracula phonetically due to not knowing the English language. This is false. However, it's likely this was true of the Red Poppy. And if current film historians today get this wrong, it's likely that Lamley might be deterred from hiring Lugosi immediately because of language concerns. Consider the Hungarian accent that soon became an integral part of the Dracula character's mythos for generations to come might be considered not a great solution for a character to play in a Hollywood film. Todd Browning was, was the natural selection for director when Universal decided to produce Dracula in 1929. After all, he had been harassing the studio for almost a decade to make the film. And with the stage play now having been a huge success just two years earlier, Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsink was a no-brainer. Yet Lugosi had to lobby for the role while playing exotic sheiks and bad guys for film roles for Fox until 1930. They finally turned to Lugosi to fill the role after striking out for nearly every other consideration, but only after agreeing to pay him a measly $500 for seven weeks of shooting, negligible even by Great Depression standards. The rights to produce the picture were $40,000 and $431,000 for production. Todd Browning and Garrett Fort took the scripts penned by Louis Bromfield, Dudley Murphy, and Louis Stevenson and turned them into the shooting script. It was part adaptation of John L. Balderston's stage play in Stoker's book, adding back some of the Transylvania elements left off the stage, but also strangely adding its own elements of having Dwight Fry's Renfield replace Jonathan Harker as a real estate agent selling Carfax Abbey. There has been much speculation around how much control Todd Browning had around the film. Much of, the film looks, much of the film's look and appeal has been attributed to the cinematographer, Carl Frond, who had coined the unchained camera technique, freeing it from the tripod, which was first used in The Last Laugh for Universal in 1924. Strangely, though, Dracula lacks a lot of the camera movement you might attribute to the stylistic choices typical for Freund. This is sometimes attributed to Dracula being the first talkie of the genre. And Todd Browning? used to silent films, not knowing how to competently stage a scene with sound. Strangely, this creates a situation where in popular media, Todd Browning appears to unfairly get almost none of the credit for Dracula and also faces most of the criticism, including references to a piece of cardboard that actually exists in the shooting script found at a light in Mina Harker's room that is somehow hotly debated as a sign that Browning had no control of the set. 
Partly this is because the Spanish language version, which undoubtedly we will talk about in an upcoming episode, was shot at the exact same time and took many of the dailies and worked tirelessly to improve on them and how they looked, and is therefore considered by many to be the superior film. Also, many of the effects in Dracula exist merely as mood-setting events as opposed to Frankenstein, which uses its effects much more effectively. Dracula never transforms on screen, and lightning fog machines and using intertitles for the sake of exposition seem like relics of the silent filmmaking era. But it's also important to remember they were also making a silent version of the film at the same time to be released in theaters who were not yet equipped with the technology for talkies. Yet audiences and critics alike were astounded when the film was released. The film made $700,000 in profit, the largest of the 1931 releases for Universal, which was a huge profit during the Great Depression. Critics praised its atmosphere and said Lugosi's performance was unique and powerful. So it was no wonder that he was considered when production began quickly the same year on a new sort of monster movie. Lugosi wanted to play Henry, the doctor who would seek out a criminal brain and a patchwork of body parts to create an animated corpse. But Junior would have none of this. Lugosi needed to be the monster. Some screen tests were done. Reports vary as to what the initial look of the monster was. Some say it was reminiscent of the Gollum played by uh, Paul Wagner, which studio heads laugh at. Others claim it was identical to the finished product we get with Karloff in the film, though this seems unlikely considering the substantial time it took to complete that makeup, as well as the role both James Whale and Jack Pierce would play in creating the iconic look of that monster. In the end, Lugosi didn't want to play a speechless role, nor endure the covering of his entire face and body in prosthetics, and he left the role along with the original director of the film, Robert Flory, who was replaced by James Whale. Who asked, for the, who asked for the property and be given free reign to choose which project he wanted to work for at Universal. He had seen the success of Dracula. He was also tired of doing World War I films. The script was reworked, adding back a lot of the humanity that had been taken from the monster in the original script and back to a more sympathetic creation. James Whale still utilized a lot of the original screenplay, which was based not on Mary Shelley's book, but on the stage play written by Peggy Webling that had made it to the United States. She had added some more important alterations to the original script that made huge impacts to the eventual film script, including shrinking the timeline, reducing the verbosity of the monster, as well as adding Fritz the assistant, who does not appear in the book. Also, the second act of the play focuses on finding a mate for the monster, which ultimately would be used for the script for The Bride of Frankenstein. Boris Karloff had worked in over 80 movies prior to being cast in Frankenstein, after Lugosi found his headshot. Finding replacement was part of the stipulations Lamel allowed him out of his contract for, leading to one of the most remarkable performances in film history. Karloff every day would endure three to three and a half hours of makeup work to put on and then take off. Jack Pierce was brought on to help with the look of the monster, and both Whale and Pierce worked together for several hours over three weeks using Thomas Edison's 1910 version of Frankenstein as inspiration. Pierce physically applying the makeup and using sketches by Whale ultimately led to the image we now know today as Frankenstein's monster. First, a bald cap was applied to Karloff in which layers of cotton, spirit gum, and collodion was built up to create the large flat forehead. Then scars were painted on as well as shadowing. Then hair was laying back on. 
Karloff had a bridge of molars removed to allow him to suck in his cheeks during the performance to give the impression of the monster having a sunken face. Blue-green grease paint was applied to his face so that on the black and white film, he would appear gray. Steel struts were tied to Karloff's legs, and he wore a double-quilted suit and was also made to wear raised and weighted boots. Mortician's wax was applied and caked onto Karloff's eyelids to make them droop and appear only half awake. And then finally, two electrodes were applied to his neck and stuck with collodion. The real genius of this makeup was Jack Pierce's ability to allow Karloff to retain full control of his facial features, which allowed the monster to show anger, fear, and sadness. Karloff would later suffer horribly for the physicality of the performance especially from the scenes where he was forced to carry Henry, resulting in three separate back surgeries. Colin Clive as Henry was cast mostly due to the insistence of James Whale, as Junior wanted to cast Leslie Howard. Colin Clive had the reputation of being unpredictable and also a drinker, but James Whale brought Clive in and made him the iconic Henry Frankenstein we know today. It could be argued that this is possibly because James Whale wanted to fill his cast full of LGBT individuals, as Clive was a known bisexual. And this is likely partially the case, as we will talk about when we get around to The Bride of Frankenstein. But also, Colin Clive was just the right person for the job. This is especially true when you consider perhaps the most important and compelling expository dialogue in the entire film, the speech Henry gives Dr. Waldman, isn't in the shooting script and was largely done on the fly by Clive with Whale's direction. One of the most underappreciated contributors to Frankenstein was Kenneth Strickfadden, who created all the electrical sets himself from broken pieces and junk he discovered lying around, turning the scraps into the table that lifts up and the electrical pieces. He then leased them to the studio for the film and was operated by Ray Lindsay. The lightning in the raising scene was actually giant lightning arc machines above the laboratory. Karloff later said this was the most frightening and unsettling part of the film for him, as he was half naked, strapped to the table, just a few feet below the sparking machines. May Clark, who in the same year got a grapefruit in the face from James Cagney in The Public Enemy, was brought in to play Elizabeth at the insistence of James Whale, as well as Frederick Kerr playing Baron Frankenstein. Both Edward Van Sloan as Dr. Waldman and Dwight Fry as Fritz came on board from the Dracula cast. Edward Van Sloan would also do the famous introduction to the film, warning audience members and critics alike of the horror they were about to witness. This was, of course, an ingenious marketing strategy, but perhaps was also to anticipate reactions for some of the things that were to come. After all, Dracula had been censored. For instance, the moaning of the Count after being staked in the original film was moved completely and not restored until the release of the Laserdisc in 1988. Similarly, multiple scenes were censored from Frankenstein, including the full In the Name of God line, which was censored regionally and then completely removed in 1937 and also not restored until the 80s due to fears of blasphemy. Making Edward Van Sloan's warnings in many ways prophetic, but also referential, as Dr. Van Helsink originally ended Dracula giving a similar statement that was deemed too shocking due to its inference that the supernatural exists and breaking the fourth wall. This speech has been lost, but by most accounts stated, it reads as follows. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, just a word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula won't give you bad dreams. So just a word of reassurance. 
when you get home and the lights are turned out and you're afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window? Well, just pull yourself together and remember there are such things as vampires. As with all great horror, Dracula and Frankenstein 31 found its way to our hearts by transgressing norms, pulling back the curtain, not just by thrilling and horrifying, but by illuminating the things by which we are horrified by. Wow. End scene. End scene. <laughs> um, I, that's amazing. So that yeah. speech, that, that end cap for Dracula, the original supposed end cap, was that like a direct reference that was done in Gremlins? Because like that sounds like yes. very similar yes. to Gremlins. Yep, I'm, I'm certain that's what, I mean, he was also coming out um, in character as Van Helsink, right? So oh, Right, um, yeah. No, that's... Uh, breaking the fourth wall, so yeah. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's really crazy. It's um, you know, there's there's a few things I have to say, uh, Jason. One <laughs> here it comes. One, we all know that 2018 was the best year for monster movies. Do you know why that is? Please illuminate me. I was with Hotel Transylvania Three. Some animation came out. In what most, was it? The most classic film of all time. Jesus. I mean, we all know Am Sandler, the best Dracula. <laughs> um, two. I had. I don't know how I missed that that cardboard. I think we're gonna go. We're gonna write. We're gonna start on Dracula, and we're gonna start in this cardboard. So, just seeing it, because I had to like look up, because I was like, wait, there's like cardboard. Like, just looking at it, it just seems like something that you would have on the bed so that you wouldn't, like, smash into a lamp, right? Well, like, well it just the, seems the, like a... I think the... It's in the shooting script, so I think the intent is Mina, it doesn't like sunlight, or doesn't like light, right? So... Um, oh, that's, a that's bride, true, too. So, so a, a maid has come in to block the light, right? Um, oh, so I, okay. That that makes sense, because, yeah, because it's like... I, the way I was... The, the one angle that I have that I was looking at it from... Um, looks like it was like blocking the part of the bed so that the frame wouldn't bunch mm. up with that. Mm. But that makes a lot more sense. Um, two, uh, somebody at a horror convention uh, sold a piece of cardboard and it, <laughs> and it had, had a picture from the scene. <laughs> and it just said, Dr. Seward's sick room lamp light deflector. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of um, when I worked for Bloody Good Horror, they uh, famously had somebody write into their show to tell them they had purchased the gate from the gate. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, amazing. But yeah, it just like uh, I, they really go hard on Dracula 31 I've noticed even I in, don't understand it it's an amazing film it it's a really it's good. very it's very good and it, it's it's interesting in the fact of um so much of it comes back to everyone goes oh this is just the play like it's like uh everyone kind of says it just feels like a play and I can kind of see that in the last half of the film um, but that first that first half of the film is is outstanding. I think is one of the best examples of gothic cinema, um, and it's just when it really kind of gets more restrained into one area that I can kind of see it. Um, but e even that said, um, the play itself is important, um, yeah. regardless. Because did you did you realize that <laughs> the guy who wrote the play Hamilton Dean, he wrote the play. So that he could play Dracula. 
Like it was basically like written like, oh, this will be like a, a good point for me. I get to play Dracula. So in the, the book, Dracula has like this big bushy beard and has like a big old like mustache and everything like that. And then Hamilton was like, I'm not fucking growing that. No, he's shaven and he looks, he looks sexy. He looks just like me. (laughs) That was a direct quote, I'm sure. Um, And so the, the way that Dracula looks now in public uh, consciousness is reportedly because this dude just didn't want to grow a mustache. Yeah. Well, well, that, I mean, that's true. Like, the, in the book, Dracula isn't prote- particularly sexy, right? Like, he's kind of ugly. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, a- a- exactly, exactly. Um, the book yeah, like, yeah, that's that's is. basically the idea, right? Like, yeah. as – because there, uh, there was one time that Christopher Lee felt like that he played real Dracula as it was in the book, and that was the time he played Dracula in Jess Franco's Dracula – where he has a mustache so um but it's like he 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 drank blood and he got younger throughout the script right so like he he, like and that was the only time he felt like that he actually did it as written this is the real dracula um but anyways that's a bit of a tangent um but kelly what 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 are your opinions on this first dracula movie Okay, so um, I'm with you on the fact that I believe that the first half is uh, amazing. I do believe it uh, it loses uh, a little bit of my interest when it gets uh, trapped in the house and, um, you know, everything's about uh, making sure that the girls aren't uh, kidnapped or, and making sure that the windows are locked. But um, but I do, but even in, in the later uh, sections, like scenes like the, um, like the count uh, appearing in the, uh, in the mirror, in the, in the, uh, cigarette box you know it's just a great scene and I, and I and i love uh the um back and forth between dracula and van helsing in the film yeah no definitely um you know jason i we kind of gotten your opinions on the film just in general but like uh you know what is your overall view of uh, dracula 1931 i really love this film i definitely understand um the sentiment that the second half is less interesting i want to call out one thing that um is that that first shot, the shot of them traveling in the wagon um, in Transylvania, is a one shot from beginning to end. So just, mm. so just a you know a lot of hate thrown at Todd Browning, but that shot is incredible. I mean, there's a um, in camera matte shot of the mountains because obviously they're not in Transylvania, and the background is done, but it's actually a one shot up until the point where uh, Lamley's niece says the first line of the film in the uh carriage yeah and you know what i was just about to mention her because she is one of the only i believe she's still alive she Um, is yeah yeah so she was um in like one of the most recent documentaries on dracula i saw like she was the one surviving cast member that would like come and they she would talk and Mm -hmm. um it was really kind of uh, a fascinating um because you know if you're not doing the math like this is turn the both of these movies turn 90 this year Right, yeah. Uh, uh, Dracula was in February, and Frankenstein was in November. Yeah, mm. both ninety this year. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's it's absolutely crazy. And I think the other one that's in this 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 batch um, is the Old Dark House, which I also think is just an yeah. outstanding, uh-huh. amazing movie. Um, and that I think that's also thirty one. I think that came out slightly before Frankenstein or after, but uh, regardless. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say the second half for me is basically carried. 
Um, Lugosi's performance obviously is phenomenal throughout the film, but Dwight Fry's performance yes. in Renfield just really carries the second half of the film for me. Um, especially was like crawling towards the maid who's passed mm. out, and you're thinking like he's gonna kill her, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, something bad gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's an incredibly effective performance. Um, and obviously as Fritz as well. Once we get to Frankenstein, he's great in that too. But yeah, he kind of carries the film for me. Uh, me too um he's really my favorite performance in the film uh you know uh, bella lugosi gets uh all the uh all the attention in pop culture but just fry's laughter and, and his strange sort of transformation from you know he plays the harker uh kind of hero at the beginning you know and then and then he's the madman by the end i think that he's kind of mesmerizing yeah no that's that's definitely true and it's weird because I, I think that he is definitely the standout, but because he's such a standout, like the actual Jonathan Harker is, is very boring. Um, oh, I don't even, very. I don't even, I don't even find Dr. Seward that interesting. And I, I usually find Dr. Seward a pretty interesting character, but that's normally when he's hopped up on laudanum. If you know, y'all Dracula heads, you know, <laughs> get your laudanum here. Um, don't actually do it. It's bad. Uh, <laughs> or is it? Yes, it is. No, no, don't, don't. <laughs> Don't do the <laughs> bold stance, public yeah, game. <laughs> Don't do a lot. Um, but Edward Van Sloan is absolutely amazing in this yes. movie, uh, and he is probably what I like most about the idea of Van Helsing because Van Helsing is always a fascinating character. Because he is supposed to be like the antithesis to something that is so motherfucking cool. He's got his cool cape. He's got a big old. He got a big old house. He got a castle. He's got horses. He's got like Dracula ladies. He's got everything. Dracula is cool. He's cool. He's a cool dude. And then we're supposed to like be like, ah, oh, bring out the cross, take out Dracula. And, you know, I always find it impressive when a, a Van Helsing is like me going like, yeah, go church. <laughs> and I'm like, that's really, that's really hard well, that's to why, do. Yeah, that's why I always am sort of compelled um, compelled by the the Francis Ford Coppola, you know, film with that mm-hmm. Van Helsing. Um, because he's such a nutcase. Like, I think it's just a really way, interesting place to take that character. Is mm-hmm. like, um, but... What I think of Van Helsing at the end of the day is Edward Van Sloan's performance, you know? Yeah, yes. no, for sure. And it's like, it's such an like, iconic performance. And uh, I had no idea, like, because I always knew that Lugosi was part of the play. I had no idea that uh, Edward Van Sloan was also yeah. uh, part of the play. So that that was really cool. And apparently, like, future Dracula, John Carradine, also was, like, huge in the play. Like, I think he performed the play as Dracula more than any other person, which I was also kind of surprised because we'll eventually get there. Not this season, but in a future season. But John Carradine is not my preferred Dracula to uh, to say. But he just plays it differently. But anyways, we'll, we'll get to that into another time. But I was surprised that he also had uh, DNA in the play. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, I think Frank Langell uh, played him on stage as well. Oh, um, yep. I didn't know and, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did um, – uh, damn, I can't think of his name right now. Um, um, you're going to have to uh, – Raul Julia played him as well on stage. Oh, wow. I didn't know Raul, Raul yeah. Julia. That's, that, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, it's uh... – I, it, it's such a it's a, such an interesting uh play 
that I've never like I I don't in modern day I'd never hear people talk about the Dracula play. I assume it's ongoing still somewhere, um, but I you know I me mean? probably not due to COVID or whatever. It's <laughs> all all the theaters are slowly starting to reopen finally. But yeah, uh, but it was uh it's interesting that these both of these films uh, have their roots in the play. And I feel like I can see the trappings of the play in Dracula yeah. and cannot at all see the fucking trappings of the play in Frankenstein um, at all. Um, and I just I, I do think that's kind of fascinating. But also, like, Dracula was like one of their first big tries at a horror movie. That's kind of like I think it had less freedom because of that. For sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's the first talkie or <laughs> it's the first officially horror film, actually. Right. Because. Um, before that, people weren't using that term, right? I mean, certainly right. you could go back and, you know, um, say the films um, prior to Dracula and Frankenstein were horror films, right, in, in sentiment. But, mm -hmm. you know, they, they just weren't technically horror films because the term wasn't coined yet, right? So, and the supernatural elements, right? Um, and, and I don't think horror needs to have supernatural elements, but you can't escape them in Dracula, right? It's not like uh, something like right. um, the Phantom where you can basically, you know, avoid any supernatural elements if you really want to, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. or the Hunchback, you know? Yeah, no, def definitely. And, you know, it's really kind of um, re remarkable about how much this performance is played off of from now to the end of time. And like Dracula is probably, I, I, you know, I can't really for sure say this, but I probably one of the most adaptive properties of all time has to be, has to be all time. And I think that really comes down to the fact that you can do Dracula cheap. You can't do Frankenstein cheap uh, mm -hmm. or as cheap. I mean, definitely we'll get into it. some cheap ass Frankenstein. Movies, <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But you still have to go out and buy the Ton Post Studios mask, right? Sure. For, but like in Dracula, sure. you just like you know put on a bad cape and you're like, Rawr. throw a rubber yeah, bat so... up in the air, you know? Yeah, so exactly. Teeth, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and I just think it's it, for, for that reason, um, Dracula is easier to do but harder to do right because if you really want to do Dracula, you really have to do everything that they do in this movie. And, you know, one of the things that struck me immediately, the one of the oh. first things I thought of when, when this was happening, is this the very first example of, like, a portent of doom? Like, the fact, like, at least in cinema, like, you showing up somewhere and they say, don't go in that place. Don't you do oh, that. Like the harbinger. Yeah, like the harbinger in, like, uh, Cabin <laughs> in the Woods. But, like, yeah. I, I was like, oh, because, like, like, I always, like, associate that with the slasher genre. Like right, that's kind of right. just always just what what I and then I saw it here and I was like, oh oh shit! I think this is where, or at least partially where this idea originates. Then I was a little bit surprised on on that front. Um, <laughs> it's such a neat idea, especially for Dracula, because you have to figure you're a commoner living in that village. Dracula's coming down there and eating people constantly, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it really hints at this like you know, um, this uh, oppressed town where the Count is just beating them into submission, you know? Just the uh, worst fucking neighbor they've ever had <laughs> yes, and do not go up yes. there. Yeah, well, where the hell else are you going to go, right? Like, they're right. all on top of a mountain. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, um, it's really interesting. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And and again, like I I think that because of the reputation of it being like a play, there are things that I completely forgot about this movie. Like there are a lot more locations mm. than people really kind of say when they talk yeah, about this yeah. movie. Like the the sequence of him just walking down the street and he like finds like the the person trying to sell tickets and he just like hypnotizes her and goes nom nom nom. Yeah. <laughs> like uh he he doesn't say nom nom nom, but like it's a really effective scene. Um and that's all like outdoors and he's like walking mm-hmm. down the street and he's getting into the opera like and the opera setting is 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 really uh fascinating and and fleshed out. And also I was really surprised of the outside view of the sanitarium where they have like a whole bunch of people in the sanitarium when they're mm. kind of introducing one of uh, like Renfield's first kind of like freak out. Um, and I, I was really kind of impressed by uh, the more versatile uh, set pieces that I, again, I think because this movie has such a, a kind of a bad reputation, really. Like I, I like, I, from... I think it's undeserved personally. But. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, I agree, um, and and it's one of those things where it's like it's it's definitely kind of bad to have to always pair it with Frankenstein, is my oh. opinion, because right, because yeah. I think like when you get into like Frankenstein's a masterpiece, and I think Dracula is very good. I would agree with this. I think a part of it is because they want to compare it to Spanish Dracula, right? Right, and and, and I think that one has its own pluses and minuses exactly um yep. but I, and mainly the fact is that lugosi kills it in the yes <laughs> exactly. yeah. well the acting in general is incredible in the film right well, yeah like, no yeah sure. so that yeah. so that's like the thing that's the draw for me right um mm-hmm. and but yeah uh, it's funny you mentioned that like him walking down the street like he's at the opera like he's the that image of dracula is so ingrained in us that when we see it we're like why aren't people just fucking freaking out that he's mm-hmm. like hanging out in an opera box like what up bitches just eating popcorn you know yeah of course and, and, like... he's, and he's the original like uh top hat nerd like, just <laughs> like oh man if i get a fact wrong in front of this guy he'll tell me uh, my lady yeah. my lady did you not see that in the play this is what actually happened she was the killer you misunderstood it now come to my basement and i will eat you <laughs> Have you seen Fight Club? <laughs> I do not watch the Cohen Brothers. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's really um, interesting. Zack Snyder really got screwed, huh? <laughs> I do not watch Justice League's theatrical cuts. <laughs> Dracula, you want to watch Justice League with me? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's beyond Max or nothing. (laughs) Look at this thing. It's not even four and a half hours long. (laughs) What is this 16 by 9 garbage? I love fucking film bro Dracula. Film bro Dracula? Tarantino is my favorite director. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, (laughs) before we get into too much of a sketch corner, uh, apparently that's a new thing on this podcast, uh, let's just get some final thoughts. I mean, it's kind of hard to, like, really... 
address this movie as a whole because it's so influential. It, like, it almost feels like everything to talk about it has already been talked about. And I think one of the things that I like about this conversation is that we are trying to highlight some of the points that aren't as addressed and, and maybe combat some of the things that, that we talk about normally. Because my, my final thoughts is like, don't forget that Dracula is great. And I think a lot of people do and a lot of people totally discredit great. this film. Uh, and and I, don't forget that Lugosi gives it his all. Like Lugosi really goes for it, mm-hmm. and I uh, I think he gives a great performance. And you know I I've read all the things like overacting, blah blah blah. I disagree. What? I think, That's nonsense. Yeah, I I think he is the textbook virgin, and everyone who tries to do what he does overacts it. But you know, there's only one Lugosi. Uh, that's that's what I say. Uh, Kelly, what what are your final thoughts? Well, I was uh, kind of amazed to learn afterwards that Lugosi only played the part one other time. Uh, I mean, he, he obviously tried to do sort of similar stuff, but he only played Dracula one other time in uh, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And I just thought that was just kind of... Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Very, it's very weird because he, again, that's a movie where he gives it his all. But what happened was in um, the studios just wouldn't hire him like universal just stopped hiring him they just didn't mm. want to pay his 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 budget or pay for him and there's that entire story about son of frankenstein right where right. they were like oh lugosi's so desperate he will uh he will just do this part and uh we will just pay him like a pittance uh mm-hmm. like they paid him like a terrible like daily rate mm-hmm. and then the director of son of frankenstein saw that and was like uh no this is lugosi this guy made you tons of money we're going to rewrite this script, and now Igor is going to be in every single, like, shot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, they're like, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's just like, fuck. And, like, yeah. Lugosi was like, thank you. And because of that, I'm going to give you one of the greatest performances of all time. <laughs> I get the feeling like Lugosi um, was very concerned about being typecast. Like, mm. he, um, he, he reportedly did interviews before the film was out and saying this was the only time he was ever going to play Dracula. Oh, really? Okay. So I think he was really scared about being typecast, Uh and then the film sort of came out, and then, like, fucking a year later, he's doing commercials for as as Dracula. So on, like, radio programs. So, like, I think he was... um, And his accent is his accent, right? Right. So that's, like, sort of... You know, the Dracula accent is Lugosi's accent. So, like, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do at that point? Um you know, so I, I sort of think that that's he was also sort of bitter about choosing Karloff as Frankenstein. And then obviously that. Blew mm. off. Well, the, the thing about that is um, I've heard throughout the years, I've heard people kind of maybe that that is kind of played up a little bit. It might that, be. Yeah. And that Karloff and Lugosi were actually kind of fine with each other. Like there was no like um, I know in like Ed Wood, right? Like Ed Wood is oh, like yeah. uh, because it's like a right. fictionalized version of Bella Lugosi. A lot Karloff, of things that sidekick, they, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, and a great performance by the. I'm not. I'm not trying yeah, to right, uh, right. discredit that movie, but I think people take that movie version of Bella Lugosi as being the actual version of mm-hmm, Bella Lugosi, mm-hmm. and like um, the things that it kind of just even misses is that like. Even in that dire part of Bela Lugosi's life, there was still joy. You can still see a whole bunch of things of him yeah, being happy, sure. talking with people, mm-hmm. hanging out. And, like, it really – it wasn't a great – like, it, it was definitely a downfall, right? Because he had, like, a lot of, like, drug drug right. issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 like, you know, he was suffering a lot. 
but he it, it wasn't like you know people when people want to tell a story of someone's downfall they try to just paint it as that's all that it was and uh, um, it yeah. never it, it never is that right? right people's lives are much more complicated you so. heard it here we contain multitudes <laughs> oh, <Lord>. um. <laughs> look jason <laughs> people do not believe it <laughs> um no 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 I, I my sense is like it was more like a professional rivalry than a personal one uh-huh. yeah right? yeah have you ever um, seen the, I- the 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 trailer for the black cat where uh, yeah, yeah yes. where it's like Lugosi and Karloff are like playing chess, and there's like, oh, your move, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah and, and I think they were just uh, personally like fine with each other. I just think that, um, you know, I, I do think he has a little bit of resentment. That's just my my what my feeling from reading is that, um, but he liked Karloff as a person, right? Um, and that's right. true of almost everyone. Karloff um, appears to be a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah, crazy, the, the, the crazy. Studio, the studio treated Karloff a lot better than Lugosi, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. And and Karloff so, knew it, and Karloff always was always, like, in, in interviews, they'd be like, he would he would always say, like, they never treated Bella right. Like, he, he and you you always you hear him, and he, like, he doesn't say Lugosi, he says Ble- Bella. Like, he gives him, like, every time you hear Boris Karloff talk about him, he says, Bella, and he, like, talks about him like, in a way that's, like, a very... Uh, a, a way that you can tell that he actually cared, which I always, I always find, yeah. uh, you know, very moving. Um, but yeah, I guess, J- uh, Dracula, Jason, uh, what are your final <laughs> thoughts? Uh- <laughs> I mean, I thought I think the film's great. Um, I think, I, I, sort of like you, I think it's, I don't understand the hate that it gets. Like, um, it's, you know, it, it, it's a trailblazer, right? Like, you have to take things contextually. Are things... You know, do you feel the stage presence um, a, a little in the film? Sure. But stage plays are fucking rad. You know? <laughs> yeah. So who cares, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, it isn't the finished product probably Frankenstein is. But in some ways, I like Dracula better than Frankenstein. Um, it's sort of what you said, and I guess I'm spoiling a little bit here. But also the second half of Frankenstein to me is less compelling than the first half. Um, especially when you start getting to the house and like Frankenstein's running around the house, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, uh, that scene. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I think both films are great. Like, I, I don't see the need, and we do this, I think, a lot in the horror community is like make something lesser to try to lift something else up. Um, well, and I guess it's not just horror; it's every community does that. But um, no, don't do it. You know what I mean? Dracula's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, and again, like. Dracula is pop culture now, right? Like, this movie is Halloween in a lot of ways. Like, both of these movies are Halloween, and the way that happened is because, like, when Halloween was, like, kind of, like, the, uh, (laughs) let's just say the capitalism side of Halloween was kind of (laughs) taking over, um, these were the movies that were playing on the TV in, like, the 40s and 50s because when TV started out and cable started out, they didn't have all of these pre-existing programs to put on, so they would buy movie blocks to, like, kind of, like, play and and put out there uh and the birth of the monster kid really kind of came from that and a lot of like cheaper showings and local theaters and stuff like that and drive-ins but um the reason why this movie and frankenstein are the epitome of halloween and are so iconic but also can feel like you've already seen it even if you haven't uh is just because of when it was re-released to the public on TV uh, back in that that era of the original Monster Kids. And I think even though you think you've seen it, you haven't seen it, and you should watch it again. 
Dracula, all-time classic. And oh. now we move on to Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein from 1931, uh, directed by James Whale. Absolute masterpiece. Um, from, like, beginning to end, this movie is iconic, uh, moving, uh, intelligent. Um, there's a cat in it, so it's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much that we can say about this this movie um and i'm gonna now put all that onto jason hey jason what do you think of this movie um it's great you know obviously it's great um i i just i want to contextualize this as saying the turnaround too like i think that's underappreciated i mean consider dracula's made and then you turn around like oh shit this is we're gonna make bank let's get moving on the next one right and so you they really did that? They really did, like... Um, February Dracula... of 1931, Yeah, Dracula comes out, and then they turn around and start producing... Okay, all right. I, I kind of assumed that they had already started production, but okay, that's... Wow, that's, that's like... That is, uh, like, Son son of Kong levels fast. And right, you, uh, yeah. And you, you produce a you masterpiece. Yeah. Right? That's filled with um, layers, right? Like... In the dig- the digging scene, right, you have um, – and this is brought up multiple times, but you have, like, um, a depiction of the Grim Reaper at the funeral, and um, Dr. Frankenstein's throwing dirt in its face, right? Uh-huh. So you just have, like, these layers also in the film of um, meaning and purpose that are beyond – um, and, and by the way, you start, you start in February, and you replace the director. Wait, right? who's the original That's- director? Uh, Robert Flory was the original director who they then replaced for James Whale, right? Mm -hmm. So um, James Whale comes in and, you know, um, uses a lot of the original script but also adds to it and changes it and brings back. Mm -hmm. Originally, the monster is less human. He's more of a straight evil creature, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, there are elements I don't love of the film. Um, One of the big criticisms, I think, um, of people who love the book is adding of the criminal brain, I think, sort of um, uh. does sort of make it inherently like some people just have evil brains. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, there's right. a eugenics there's, thing there. Yeah, there's a bit of phrenology, eugenic stuff in there. But I Which also... I think robs thematically, you know, what the purpose is, right? Frankenstein's monster isn't evil. Right. In- inherently, right? Um, I do like the moment, though, where Frankenstein realizes, oh, the brain is wrong, and the, the moment where it's kind of clicking, where it's like, oh, fuck, my, my great uh, creation is kind of screwed. Yeah. You know, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, can, I was definitely thinking that at the time. But I think that the film then goes on to almost say that maybe, for, like, if you could almost read it as no, like, it, this was always junk science um and Uh. like he's still like a he's still like a human in there until cruelty is done to him Uh and like because i do think that's the entire point of frankenstein yes so i i don't i don't necessarily think that that but i do think that maybe that could even play into the implicit biases from then on after that right like because there is uh an inherent as soon as he knows is a criminal brain then he has an implicit bias against him That's and is true. much less uh, kind or caring, even though he's a piece of shit. Like, Victor Frank <laughs> is a piece of shit 
<laughs> to Hen- the monster. Henry, Henry Frankenstein. Me. Oh, Henry. Right. Henry. Sorry. Sorry. Who's yeah. Vic- who's Victor Frankenstein? See, that's one of my problems with the movie is they fucking take all the names, they scramble them up, and they start picking them out of a hat and signing them uh, to different people. Okay. Okay. So in the book, it's Victor Frankenstein, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. The names are all uh, over the place in the why film, did, and I think why that's. Why did they change it to Henry? That's a terrible uh, name. Don't know, but I know that a lot of it had to do with the play. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know about I don't yes. know about so, all the choices. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Henry Frankenstein was used for the Frankenstein play. I mean, keep in mind they didn't adapt the Mary Shelley book. Really, they adapted the mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. Well, right? even though same... the pl- even though the book was in already in um, public domain. Right, right, and again, oh, the right. same same could be said about Dracula, right? It's not really right. a, a Bram Stoker adaptation. Yeah, but the the the, the play isn't uh, of Dracula isn't as radically different as the play of Frankenstein was. Right, right, right. that's fair. Like uh, you know, I I in the in your info dump, you were mentioning that Fritz Fritz was an entire uh, invention of the play, correct? Right, which would then become Igor, obviously, later on. Right, right. and it's, um, it's, it's very fascinating, that change, right? Because nobody remembers Fritz, even though most of the tribu- attributes they put onto Igor is actually Fritz. Because Igor, by Bela Lugosi, is just someone with a broken neck. He doesn't have a hunchback. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just him, like, kind of trying to get by with a broken neck and then getting his revenge on a bunch of old fuddy-duddies because he's the best, but, you know. Mm-hmm. it's uh again one of the most fascinating things about going through these original films is to kind of discover where the pop culture history took things from yeah especially when you look at the way frankenstein walks in most versions of frankenstein um that's not in this movie at all he just he does he does have a lumbering walk but he doesn't have the arms outstretched Mm -hmm. going forward and the reason why the arms outstretched going forward is a thing is because in frankenstein meets the wolfman they he walks like that and that's because it's continuity from the ghost of frankenstein where Igor's brain gets put into Frankenstein and then Frankenstein's monster and Igor are one and they can't see anymore because the brain transfer got fucked up and he can't see anymore. And in, in Frankenstein meets a Wolfman, there's even dialogue by Lugosi stating that, um, but they cut all the dialogue before that movie actually got intro- like released. So it's just a silent monster who walks like that. And that was one of the most popular ones. Hence, that's how people think he walks now, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think little things like that are just uh, a way to make sure that you're like you haven't actually seen this movie, uh, in 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 many many ways, um, because um, for one, that scene with the little girl is like one of the one of the most iconic scenes in in yeah. all of cinema. I would yeah, say. Boris Karloff hated that fucking scene. Oh, really? oh, well, I'm he, fucking sure anyone would fucking hate that scene. He, you don't want to yeah. throw a child into the Well, wall. yeah. Also, um, that child actress um, was, um, you know, well-known. She was being abused by her mother as well. Holy uh, shit. I had Karloff no idea. Was, yeah, Boris Karloff was, like, um, she was, like, asking him, like, you know, can I hang out with you so I can be away from my mother? Aww. You know, so, like, when he threw her in the water, um, that really affected Boris Karloff. Like, even Aww. years later, like, he didn't Aww. like it. Um, you know it, it's a tough scene. It's a beautiful. Well, it scene, is. Though. It is. It's a. It is yeah. a tough scene. And like uh, I, I know. I think Guillermo del Toro actually doesn't 
doesn't like seeing it actually happen. Like he, he prefers the edited version. Um, but again, I think that probably comes down to how he was like, how he viewed the movie as a kid. Right. And Uh I think, Uh I think that one of the interesting things about some of these movies in this era, like this early thirties, um, is that they got pieces of them removed and then those pieces, like the shortened versions became some people's go-to versions growing up. So now there's like almost a, a, a way of people being like, oh, I miss not being able to see King Kong eat those villagers. <laughs> I, I prefer him not doing that. Um, yeah. And it's just because that's how they grew up. And I think, right, again, right. that's a little interesting uh, a tidbit there. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about the intro? Because I think it's um, oh. one of the best openings to any film ever is Edward Van Sloan coming on and just telling you um, you're going to see some horrible things. I think it's so smart and interesting. Yeah, it's so good. And like, you know, for me, what that that like that image and that 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 frame framing device always reminds me of The Simpsons because they parodied it so well. And again, it's like one of those little things where it's like you wouldn't really know that that is from Frankenstein unless you watch Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all these little bits and pieces of pop culture. It's almost like a little jigsaw puzzle. And part of it, uh, part of the fun of this movie is really trying to figure out that out. Um, I love that. I love that so much. Um, is there a reason why there isn't a different language version of Frankenstein as opposed to Dracula, which did have a Spanish uh, version? Like, question. I don't know if maybe they had finally found a, a good dubbing process or something, because I know like King Kong doesn't have any alternate versions and that's in 1933. Um, and maybe it really was just, this is our first sound. We don't know how we're going to do this in the future kind of thing. And like, this is just one of those interesting uh, experiments from that time. Um, or maybe there is like a different version of Frankenstein and it was just never kept. I think that, I think that's also completely possible. Um, because in a lot of these, these scenarios, like things were not kept like, uh, the, yeah. it's kind of a miracle that the Spanish version of Dracula even survives. I would say is cause, uh, I, there are tons of these versions made. Um, cause I know again, going back to King Kong, Frank Riker would make the German versions of many, many films, uh, of his own and, no, I don't think any of those survive, like, at least not uh, publicly. Um, you'd have to do some digging. But, yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe there is an alternate well, version of the Frankenstein. Span- I mean, the Spanish-speaking Dracula is really an anomaly in and of itself, right? Um, in, in the sense that, like, George Melford thought he was going to be get the job that Lamel got, Jr. got. Um, and, and a lot of that's part of the reason there was so much um, – so much, um, I, I think, uh, comparison between Spanish language Dracula and so much competition because he was kind of bitter that there was basically a handing down from the father to the son. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I think that's sort of what created the separation there a little bit. So it definitely was produced by Lamel Jr., but I think, it, I, I think there was a separation there. Do you know what I mean? That kind of drove a separate film that may not have happened with Frankenstein, you know? That's yeah, that's fair. Also, like I think it'd be much harder to do on Frankenstein. Like there's a lot of um you would really need to reuse like 
a lot of props and that you'd have to right, rebuild yeah. a lot of things, right? Because a lot of things get destroyed. Um, a lot of these are like very, very um, technically uh, sufficient filmmaking processes that you need, right? Like I can't imagine how big the crew was to run all the electrical equipment alone, right? Uh, whereas in Dracula, you might not have had as extensive of a team needed for both versions. So, uh, or maybe you know, um, nobody else would fucking do what Karloff went through to play <laughs> as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, did he complain or like, and no one cared? He or... didn't strike me as a complaining guy. You know what no, I mean? No, he didn't. Um, so like, I think he really loved the role and loved um, um, the experience in terms of like. Um, pushing himself to do what he did. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, I think he was just willing to endure it. Also, there's, you know, some stuff with James Whale and Karloff that I'm sure we'll get into when we talk a bride, right? Um, that probably attracted him to the role and willing to do more than anyone else would do. Was there a uh, silent version of the Frankenstein film the way there was for Dracula? There was like a ninth, like an Edison, the nineteen ten Edison. Version. Okay, all right, okay. Does that entire thing survive, or only a portion? Like I'm never completely sure because I like the version that survives now is like I think ten minutes. That's the um, only version I've ever seen. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if that was a complete version or that's just an a segment of it. I'm not really sure. I don't think it was a full length. Um, I mean, keep in mind Edison was just experimenting with filmmaking really, um, and hadn't really at the time really put everything into to play you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i think um there may be more i if there is i'd love to i'd love to see it um but I, it's also, I would hope so but i'd love to um i'd love to see all of it but it's also clear that like that version of frankenstein definitely influenced this version of the monster mm -hmm. like, right you see that um yeah what uh, what what do you well like so Jason, I can I can already tell you're you're one of those book nerds. Uh, you're showing up with your top hat to everyone who's coming out of this play and being mm -hmm. like, "Yes, in the book version, <laughs> you should be aware, my lady, that the, uh, the monster look nothing like that. Dreadful, dreadful display of bolts and wires." Um, so as as a as a book bibliophile, um, what do you think about this version and what? differences really irk you and make you want to go Rawr! no no differences really irk me i don't really love the criminal brain thing um i know you tried to you know um intuit your own uh vision of why that still works i just don't i don't buy it um that's because you have a criminal brain he has a criminal brain <laughs> <laughs> that's true. i do have a criminal brain um but aside from that like no i mean the book is so different um the book like the there's like chapters of just the monster talking in the book right so like, right yeah and i'm always yeah. it's always surprising because like the one of the most iconic things about the book is how it begins with like um victor coming <clears throat> coming across like that ship in the arctic and everything like that right. and like right. telling his story and like you are i always kind of expect that to happen here like where every, every once in a while when i watch it because it just seems like it is such a, a classic version of, of like how to retell the story. And uh, no, that's not really uh, really what happens. Like it's a very, very different in, in, in that regard. Um, so you're, you're okay with the, the different look for the creature? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I think it, I mean, 
I think you're a fool if you can discount the way Frankenstein's monster looks in this film. Like, it's the iconic visage of Frankenstein's monster. Like, and it's amazing. It's incredible, right? Um, but yeah, I, I, his performance under all that makeup is um, a, a crown jewel in, in the history of Hollywood, in my opinion. Um, as is... You know, as is um, the performance of um, Henry Frankenstein as well. That performance so is so mind blowing, and it's, it's one of my favorite performances of all time. Um, so yeah, and you know, and you know, Fritz gets uh, Fritz Dwight Price Fritz gets downplayed as well, but I think that's an incredible performance as well. The performances of the film, except for I'm not a huge fan of the Baron. Oh, I that, he's cute. Not a huge fan. I Sorry, think he, he seems so out of the mo- place in the movie. I'm yeah. not sure. Not yeah, yeah, yeah he's just like an old man. He's like, ah, fucking crapped in he's... fucking Frankenstein bullshit. I remember back in, <laughs> back in my he's like one of the, not even, he's like even... one of the old men from the Muppets got <laughs> transported <laughs> yes, into the he's Statler, Statler and Waldorf <laughs> merged into oh, Statler. Where are you? We have to go up and haze this fucking Frankenstein's creation. <laughs> he's not even using the same <laughs> script. He's like talking. He's still. He's calling like fucking where where Henry is a windmill still, and that's like left over from the old. <laughs> Look, he's old. He doesn't. He doesn't know where his son is. He's like, oh, he's in some fucking windmill somewhere, <laughs> fucking around with all that electricity. What a loser. <laughs> Look, at the very least, I'm willing to kind of. Th- sweep that under the rug, and that he's just like an old man. He doesn't really like. I, can... I don't understand. I don't understand this film why immediately Henry's almost getting cucked at the beginning of this film. Like, that's, like, how this film opens up is instead of the Arctic, we get the near cucking of Henry Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, I don't... At the beginning of this film. His, like... I had really kind of, like, mixed uh, in my memory the Edward Sloan stuff and uh, his friend who's, like, the assistant stuff. Yeah. Uh, Who is Victor, that, like, by the way. Yeah, that that Victor uh, just is kind of a wet fart. Like he doesn't I feel really. Like he doesn't do... need to be in the movie. Yeah, he just really doesn't need to be in the movie. Other than like, hey, he's creating life. I'm gonna create life with your wife. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like Elizabeth. I really am going to be your friend, but I just want you to know and keep it in the back of your head every time you look at me that I really want to fuck you. <laughs> Don't forget it. Oh, so where did okay. Victor? Okay. Victor, where did that top hat come from? And that weird <laughs> Hungarian voice. Who is who is Zack Snyder? It's all you're talking about. Re- yeah, Elizabeth, you're really putting me in the friend zone over here. <laughs> is it because of my skull of my shape of my skull? Is that why I have a weak chin? He's just like he's just like. Hey, he thinks he can create light, but he ain't seeing what Zack Snyder can do with. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm sorry. I love Zach. that you can watch these movies. You can watch Frankenstein or Dracula four times in this in the same amount of time as a Zack Snyder film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's it's, that's very true. And like most Zack Snyder films, it's like very much. Can I call out something else? Like the mm. introduction to our characters is really interesting. What James Whale does, which is like four separate close-ups of each character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never quite uh-huh. seen anything like that ever since or before that. Like I, um, it's really interesting. I'm not sure how I necessarily feel about it, but it is interesting. Yeah, for sure. What um, 
What like what is his relationship to Fritz? I never really could figure that out. Like he just hired that's the guy. His boy. To... Yeah, that's his boy. I mean, <laughs> who else are you gonna get to climb up on a fucking gallows to cut people down? But like I want I want like a, a, a prequel to this just shows how they met. Like what like were they like both corresponding on like creepy dudes monthly or something? Oh, you want like that? You want yeah. the Disney Plus reboot of Henry Frankenstein, <laughs> oh where his parents get killed by a dead body and Henry fall and off? Fritz. His... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where a lightning bolt strikes his mom. Ah! That's a... <laughs> and he's like, "This lightning bolt's called death, but I will harness it for life." <laughs> Coming soon to Disney Plus. Yeah. Fritz. <laughs> Fritz is I, now I would, sexy as fuck that. and gay. <laughs> 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 His mom's just standing on the side of a cliff and a bunch of dead bodies just roll down and knock her off. Hey, we're dumping the plague victims. Dumping the plague victims. Everyone get out of the way or else you're going to fall over the cliff with all these plague victims. Oh, no. And then just, you know, lightning bolt hits the bodies and then everything's on fire. And then Beautiful. Like, now he's like, oh, wow. I fear fire just like you, monster. I saw my mother burn alive in a pile of corpses. Uh, call us Disney. <laughs> Don't. Don't. <laughs> um, Kelly, Kelly, like, what's your history with, with Frankenstein? Um, so I, uh, I feel like I... I... I grew up watching uh, Bride of Frankenstein before I ever got to the original. It was one of those, like, like we talked about how many times some of these uh, films, you feel like you've seen them, but really, no, you're just so, in, it's so ingrained in pop culture that uh, you feel like you've seen them, but you haven't. And, uh, and so it was kind of interesting to, you know, finally catch up with it probably on Blu-ray years back. And um, no, I, I uh, really love um, James Wales, uh, Frankenstein with uh, Boris Karloff. And, and uh, I, I, uh, you know, I I have some difficulty with this film only because of the names being switched around, and I'm always like, no, 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 Doctor Frankenstein is supposed to be the, the asshole villain. Why are why why is he like leading a posse now? And why is it, it felt wrong to me? But um, you know, uh, I I also uh find it interesting. Uh, you know, I love the uh, opening credits where uh, the monster is question mark. I don't love the opening credits where the author is Mrs. Percy uh, Shelley. But, yeah, that's you know. a weird, that's like a, a weird, weird thing to do in yeah. like, the credits. And I do not understand it because I was like, um, are we supposed to like go to this guy's tombstone? Find out <laughs> like, are we supposed to like look up the like death records? Be like, okay, so who is he married? To? Oh, okay. Now this is the person. Thank you. This was actually <laughs> the, the very first, uh, you know, hide and go seek or whatever in film history i don't know uh i was trying to think of a thing what is the thing aha you're searching for it you got like a clue i have to find it i'm gonna Uh, um, scavenger hunt scavenger hunt it was the first scavenger hunt in film there we go (laughs) what a clever joke andrew that you didn't have to pause the podcast to figure out why and edit out that brief pause Seamless. Spe- <laughs> Seamless, as always. I find like the there are like visuals in this film that are just truly amazing. Uh, I find like all of the gothic uh, architecture and, and everything that that um, the the way that it's framed, the way that it's lit, is like so fascinating because 
I would imagine that most of this is filmed in a studio and like they they built all these sets mm-hmm. and you really can't tell for the most part because they're so dynamic and um, really well displayed um, because there's just so much going on and they don't feel like sets. They feel like the real area that they're supposed yeah. to be. And you're never sitting there being like, oh, this looks like a set. Like, uh, I can see the seams. And it's like, never. There was like a brief, in the very final kind of the scene where he's like first confronting the Henry and the, the monster are, are having that confrontation like in outside on the cliff. Mm. That is the only point where I can kind of see the scenes yeah. in the matte painting a little sure. bit. But other yeah. than that, like it's pretty flawless. Um and yeah, like it's uh it's it's very it's very interesting, especially when you compare this to Bride of the Frankenstein, because much like Dracula um gets kind of put down for Frankenstein, there are quite a bit of people who will use Bride of Frankenstein to put down yeah. Frankenstein when they're both masterpieces mm-hmm. and they're both valid and great. Like I, and it is, it really is what Jason was saying about how like, you don't really have to put down any of them. You can just talk about their pros and cons. Um, I, I also, I mean, everything about uh, Karloff and, and I found um, Jason's notes about the, how the makeup was done. Fascinating. Cause I didn't know a lot of that stuff, but you know, his performance is great, but I also just love the way it, he shot. Like the first time he, walks into a scene he's walking backwards through a door and it's kind of creepy and um strange and then the slow turn to see the monster's face for the first time i i love that uh and then then the start the parts where uh you know fritz that little sexy asshole jerk um is abusing him and and you know hitting him with the fire and then later on we see fritz uh you know, hanging from a hook. I, I love those scenes where it, it's just the lighting and it's so creepy and uh, gothic and um, where it's, it's taking the, the makeup and the performances to another level by having the sets do a lot of the work for them too. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And one of the things that like, you know, we're talking about Frankenstein, you have to bring up the fact that like James Whale very gay right like this is a gay this is a gay man making frankenstein which like really fits the material super well um like that's a really smart choice and i think the what the frankenstein um you know this version of frankenstein is so iconic made by a gay man nosferatu uh the 1922 version is made by a gay man fw murrow now and i think that um you know it's one of those things where like now I think we take these things for granted or we don't think about it at all um, because it's suddenly like it's supposed to be like an achievement <laughs> to, to like bring mm-hmm. people like to, to like it's supposed to be like inclusiveness is now uh, marked as like an achievement when really it's like mm-hmm. uh, like they you should be doing this all the time. Like this is just we yeah. were doing this in the beginning. Like it's, it's not, is there something wrong when you can look at a film made in 1931 and it's be like. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Disney Plus, uh, <laughs> this is like way more progressive <laughs> than what you're yeah. getting, getting Everyone all Everyone wants a pat on the back nowadays. So. Yeah, yeah. Or like people being like, take the politics out of the movie. And it's like, no, guys, uh, yeah. one, uh, you're just idiots. Of course you're idiots. <laughs> but two, um, no, it's always here. Like all of this stuff is always yeah. here. All of these people have always been making art. 
Uh, they've been making some of the most influential art of all time. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's really kind of um, depressing that people refuse to look up history books um, at all. Um, yes. And now I'm angry. Jason, make me less angry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say um, everything is political. Right, like yes. well, yeah, uh, no, but yeah, that, exactly, exactly. That was my point. But like, supporting also supporting like, the stat, the status quo is inherently political, right? So, um, and you know, he didn't, he wasn't, Jezreel wasn't just gay. He um went out of his way to fill the cast with people that he knew were um gay or bisexual or LGBT in general, um, which is interesting, right? It, to think that somebody who and Jezreel was openly gay. Right mm-hmm. at the time, um, so um, to wield that much power at that time, right? Because he's basically like, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna cast Colin Clive, right? right. Um, is incredible, is incredible. Um, and, and you know, um, to your point, Andrew, like I wish, um, it didn't even have to be talked about as incredible. It should just be the stat. That should be the norm. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. And I think I think that's one of the things like uh, it, it's always fascinating to me. Um, like one one of the things that's sad about Frankenstein as as a property, no movie that I've been able to find. And I've been looking. I've been looking hard. I've never seen a female directed uh, Frankenstein movie, which is kind of insane. Um, yeah. And that would be that would be uh, much. And also, um, if you look at the. Um, how uh, Mary Shelley is credited at the beginning of this film. It's as yeah. um, her husband's name. Yeah, Mrs. Percy Shelley. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It was really bad. Um, and it also really kind of surprises me how I don't know. Um, like, if it would it it wouldn't surprise me that like say Blumhouse hired like a gay director it would be a fuss or it would be something that's it like absolutely meant, would be right and like people would try to make it like a thing of like be like oh my I can't believe you're doing that or like you like you just look back and be like um, James Rail's ghost is just sitting there like you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna address you're not gonna address the fact that like uh, but yeah no it's just uh it's it's just one of those things where it's like you really shouldn't have to be a thing but uh also you really always find a bad the bad uh, apples when they be like this movie is all about women's rights and you're like wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute who's that that in the cast Ooh, i've seen a lot of men <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of men so um yeah, yeah so it's always interesting um mm-hmm. minor tangent but also very important because that is that is like integral right like because like there is a lot of uh a lot of the the actors and actresses and everything like uh like that jason was saying so if we didn't mention it we would be shitty yeah and i think that conversation um will be filled out more as we talk about bride because bride is um an inherently gay movie you know what i mean right Um, yeah no for sure jason any Final thoughts or places that we we haven't really touched on that you want to talk about for? No, I, I mean I just will make a pitch to say if you haven't seen these films in a long time, it's Halloween. Um, <laughs> it's a perfect time to watch these two films. You will not be disappointed or let down. They stand up incredibly well, even for their um, you know for the fact that they are so old. They still just work incredibly well. And there's a lot to love here. 
and um, stop talking shit about Frankenstein and Dracula or I'm coming for you, okay? <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Um, my final thoughts is we we know that uh, Dracula's Possums is a band, um, <laughs> but there really does need to be a Frankenstein's cat band because uh, that oh. kitty was super cute. And let me point out <laughs> in that, that scene – where as soon as that girl drops a cat, the cat's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. I am yeah. not going to sit around. <laughs> that cat did not save that girl. And that cat <laughs> looked after itself. Like all I mean, good that's cats what cats do. do, right? Like, you know, that's to be expected, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just, I just love it. Because I was like, I was like, wait. She has a cat. Oh, my God. Is something bad going to happen to the cat? Oh, God. Do I not remember, like, a cat drowning? And she walks away. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. It's only a child drowning. <laughs> the cat's like, bye, bitch. <laughs> You're getting drowned. Bye, bitch. I'll be in the sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for for me, uh, with Frankenstein, I feel like everything's been said. For Dracula, uh, I kind of watching it again recently, I was kind of struck by how dreamlike it was and like whether it be uh, Renfield just being so bizarre and and, and just feeling like you you don't see people act that way. But also just, okay, my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, just the way towards the beginning of the film where Dracula just passes through the, the webs on the staircase. A a film today would show us him do show us, him passing through that with CGI or whatever. I like that it didn't show us because it kind of cuts to him walking and then, I'm like, oh, it's a cut, he's suddenly on the other side, you know? And it's just this sort of like, there's a sort of dreamlike logic to it where, and and and, and it's, uh, you know, uh, fanciful and um, kind of beautiful. And I, I really like that part. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it really does, I think like that scene in particular, it really heightens the performance by Dwight Fry. Because mm-hmm. then he walks into like because we didn't really see it happen. He, all of a sudden he goes like, "Oh wait, what? How did you get, How there? You get over there?" Like right. what? What? Like yeah. And I think <clears throat> one of the things that is most prevalent about both of these films is that they they both really treat you like you're smart, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there really isn't too much like hand holding in this movie. Right. Um, and I, and I just thought that was that was really impressive. Um, and I, what I, I you... just love that there was a crate full of armadillos that got dropped in the side like where did they come from texas they just shipped a fucking crate of armadillos from texas to dracula's castle hey man you know they got they gotta live they gotta live i don't think they're living long there okay you know what probably those vampire armadillos well i i think because like what i was thinking is i think the possums are like supposed to be the wives so maybe the wives can also turn into armadillos (laughs) <laughs> because you see them wait like, a minute this is an interesting headcanon you, you, you see wait them a and minute. then there's like a flash like you see the possums you get the establishing shot of the flat possums and then there's like a flash and then the, the wives appear are you I, hypothesizing I, that I, Dracula turns into a bat and then <laughs> the wives of Dracula turn into possums and armadillos <laughs> well and one of them turns into a little bee that's also one of the things a vampire bee that is the scariest thing I've ever fucking heard of. Yeah. I do think that there's actually like um evidence in like Drac in like vampire lore that like they can escape as like a like a bug or something. But um regardless, uh that's canon. 
uh, <laughs> opossum ladies of Dracula. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. <laughs> Do you think that the success of Dracula, which might have been unexpected, informed the decision at the end of Frankenstein to basically uh, let Henry Frankenstein survive the thing? Where they're like, okay, we're thinking sequels now. Mm. Like, sequels weren't like it's it's very interesting because uh yeah because like sequels are not really a thing at this time mm, that's true enough do, yeah do, do do you know um jason do you know if he dies in the play or does he live in the play as well i'm not sure about that um in, in the frankenstein play whether um henry dies. yeah um, yeah i do not think he dies but that's i, I could be misremembering that um in terms of um, when I read up on the play, I do not believe I believe that part of it really follows the play, uh-huh. right? In terms right. of the trajectory of Henry Frankenstein, I I I, I do kind of find that ending fascinating because it re- he doesn't really get a comeuppance for anything. He's no, like, he doesn't. His right? wife gets scared, yeah. not killed. Um, yeah. So he like you know the creature just shows up and is like hey i'm here i'm here i'm here bye and there's like leaves um it doesn't do anything well i think the creature is like trying to tell him like hey i could do something but i'm not because i'm not <laughs> an asshole like you are i like the, i love the monster just climbs the side of the house and comes in a window yeah yes yeah. <laughs> spider-man can do it why can't he <laughs> That big ass house. He's just climbing. He's just somebody who's outside watching Frankenstein's monster climb a gutter. To... I love though that he's he's in the roof. He's on the upper floor. Now he's down in the basement. Now he's in this. You know he can throw his voice very well. You know. <laughs> now he's in the air, flying <laughs> a, a aerial vehicle. Um, what do you think? So final thoughts and final thing to like. I want to get everyone's opinion. Mm. What do you think, Frankenstein? told the angry mob when he got them at the end because we never see that happening of him going to the burgermeister and going to the person whose child just died was he just like did he just show up and be like oh there's like a, a scary guy who also happened to do some shit in my place like oh god we better get him i'll help you out i've i've seen this guy he's walking around he's bad news or was he just like <laughs> Oh, hey, sorry, I kind of got your daughter killed by creating an abomination of nature, but, like, we're not going to really focus on it because we've got to stop him, right? Well, That's one of my problems with the film, really, is the fact that I really feel like he's the villain of the film, and the, he kind of gets yeah. to have a hero uh, finale. I don't understand how they he's running down the street holding his daughter. He just assumed she was dead in the lake and dove in and got the body? Right, right. He didn't see uh, the monster thrower. I mean, <laughs> he's just like... The cat told him. The cat. Oh, okay. The cat. All right. The cat. Well, <laughs> the cat. I also meow, would like meow, to talk daughter, about how like <laughs> his bride to be is just <laughs> cool with him having been hanging out with his boyfriend at the um you know old ruins of the watchtower for the last mm-hmm. like half a year and then coming back and being like okay let's get married. Henry's just a bachelor. He's just a confirmed bachelor. <laughs> His quote-unquote Nothing friend. going on here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that stuff, yeah, it doesn't... I mean, like, I, I don't think the third act of Frankenstein is as good as the first two acts, is all I would say. That's, that's, I would agree with that and, and say that probably applies to Dracula as well, but yeah. yeah. They just yeah. hadn't nailed, nailed down the endings just yet. Yeah. They nailed down the endings. That's fair. And speaking of nailing down endings... Jason, where, where can we find you on the internet and eventually get notified of your end? 
I'm still thinking yeah. about how if the Brides of Frankenstein can turn into possums, then Dracula... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Dracula... The Brides of Frankenstein? Oh, I'm sorry. The Brides of Dracula. <laughs> okay. okay. The Look, Dracula. What, Maybe the Brides of Frankenstein. Did you write the fucking too. play? Like, did you write the play version and you fucking messed it up? It's Dracula's monster and the Brides Excuse of Frankenstein? Me. I'm just thinking about how the Brides of Dracula can turn into a, a possums and fucking armadillos. And does that make Dracula a furry lover? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> I mean, he's no, into what he's no, into. I'm not kink shaming. I'm just asking. No, no. Kelly, no, no. Kelly, mm. are you one of the opossum brides? <laughs> no, no. Why do I no. keep saying opossum? <laughs> I <laughs> just think it's opossum brides. Opossum brides. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. That's, that's a that's a good band name right there. But, it's like yeah. Canada. That's why we say O Canada. It's not like you know. That's not. It's it's literally O. Can't like can the Canada they always just normally silent so you know. I you know I thought that joke was good. I thought, <laughs> was I thought it was a funny fine mediocre yeah, joke, was, but it, um, it was fine. It was good. It was. I really. You can find it. me on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you could find me on Twitter if you really want. You know, sounds good. I'll be there. Kelly, where can we find you and your possum selves? <laughs> Um, you know, may- maybe like, you know, g- go outside, see if like, hey, are there any possums in the backyard? Hey, hey, Kelly, how's it going? Just wait. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> okay, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Ohelkel, and I uh, am co-hosting the Japanese horror podcast, One Miss Pod. Yeah. And yeah, I-, I might be out in the trash as a possum now and then. But listen, leave me be. It's a lifestyle choice. <sighs> yeah, you can. You can find me places. Okay. Have a good day, guys. Goodbye. Bye. Love you all. Goodbye. Possums forever. (laughs) Cardboard possums.